the mountain in Palestine. It's not just a mountain, it's the mountain. You see, its peaks rise some 9,000 feet above sea level and 11,000 feet above the Jordan Valley. That's a, a lot higher than the mountains that Melissa and I were on, although from what I heard, not quite as high as the ones that some of you were skiing down last weekend. Well, as you can imagine, on a clear day, Mount Hermon is visible throughout Israel. It's not a big country, and you can see the snow-clad slopes from Jerusalem to Tyre. And so there could hardly have been a more spectacular scene for the setting of our story today. But why this long climb with his closest disciples to this dramatic setting? Well, the answer is they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement. You see, if you were to look back in this chapter of Luke, if you had a Bible handy, you could see that just eight days beforehand, Jesus has jolted them with a heavy dose of reality about the coming cross and the necessity of his suffering, their rabbi, their teacher. And Jesus had asked who they believed he was, to which Peter answered with his great confession, you are the Christ. Then Jesus began to teach them that he would have to suffer many things and be rejected and killed, and after three days he'd rise again. And somewhat predictably, as Mark reveals in his gospel, but Luke omits, Peter objects, and he gets this stinging rebuke from Jesus. You may remember, get thee behind me, Satan, he says. And this leads to Jesus calling the crowd to him and telling them that when they embrace him as Messiah, they're embracing a suffering Messiah and a life that included taking up their own crosses and suffering themselves. The commentator R. Kent Hughes writes this, It was a radical, revolutionary revelation, totally out of sync with their messianic expectations. It was naturally confusing and depressing. And with what was coming, the Lord realized it needed to be balanced with some positive realities. So now he had them in the crisp atmosphere of the alpine heights of Mount Hermon, away from everything, alone with him under the spinning summer constellations. They were on top of the world with Jesus. Here they were going to be bombarded with the most stupendous blast of encouragement mortals have ever known. And that same encouragement that Hughes writes about remains for us today who are called to embrace the cross. The disciples' experience on Mount Hermon is something we're all called to just put our arms around and hold close to our hearts. You see, we too need to stand on top of the world with Jesus. So let's turn to our reading from Luke chapter 9, and let's see what God would say to those who listen to him. Hopefully you have a bulletin with you, or you can just look on the screen or pull out your Bible app on your phone if you prefer. And verses 28 and 29, well, they set the scene for our story. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Immediately, we see Jesus transfigured. Now, it's not a word we often hear in our culture, right? Transfiguration. But if you're a Harry Potter fan, you may remember it from Harry Potter happens there. So it just means to be transformed into something, something more beautiful typically or elevated. It means to be metamorphosed if you want. As one writer puts it, in the case of Jesus, for a brief moment, the veil of his humanity is lifted and his true essence 
is allowed to shine through. The veil of his humanity is lifted and his true essence is able or allowed to shine through. You've got to think this must have been an incredible experience. You, know, you may have read this before or heard this before, but try and imagine you're hearing this or even seeing it in your mind for the first time. What an amazing experience to go through. What this, this stunning vision of who their rabbi truly is and what an encouragement it must have been. W. H. Auden comments that Christ did not enchant men. He demanded that they believe in him, except on one occasion, the transfiguration. For a brief while, Peter, James, and John were permitted to see him in his glory. For that brief while, they had no need of faith. They had no need of faith. Suddenly, everything was very real, right? Suddenly, they can see, oh, this is who we're following. It's very tangible right in front of them. They have this true essence right in front of them. This is the Messiah, the chosen one prophesied about. This is the Son of God. And any lingering doubts would have been gone in this moment, if only for a brief moment. And you know, for us too, 2,000 years later, Luke's retelling makes it clear that Jesus is not just some wise teacher, okay? He's not just some uh, guru or self-help expert whose book we can go down to Barnes & Noble or get on Amazon and purchase and read the seven best points for your best life now, right? He's not that person. And even though people try and call him that. No, no, the transfiguration, transfiguration makes it really clear that he is God himself. And as such, we can trust that today he's also alive in heaven in this same form, dazzling white in glory. The guys uh, that I'm in, in a life group with, we've decided that we're going to go through the book of Revelation. I don't know which crazy guy suggested that, but we are going through the book of Revelation. And uh, each week, I wish Nick was here. He's not here today. <laughs> Nick looks bewildered every time we read Revelation. But there's this great passage in chapter one that we read last week where uh, the Apostle John puts it uh, this way in the book of Revelation. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This is Jesus, right? The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. A beautiful picture, right, of the, the Jesus that we, will, we too will one day encounter. This is the G- Jesus that the disciples encountered that day. And this is the same Jesus who intercedes for us in heaven even today. And that should be an encouragement for us all. Well, moving on in verses 30 and 31, we read this. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So as if this dazzling vision, this this amazing thing that's going on isn't enough already, now we have not one but two superheroes of the uh, the Jewish faith, right? They they appear, we've got Moses and Elijah. These are men who've been long gone for hundreds of years. Elijah likely for 900 years, Moses 1,400 years. And it would be as if you had were finally able to meet the President of the United States one-on-one. You were given an exclusive meeting with him. 
And then, all of a sudden, George Washington appears. <laughs> and then there's Abraham Lincoln. They go, what? I don't think you're getting better. But look, we've got these heroes, right? But why Moses and Elijah? You know, why not Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah or Daniel or Joseph? Those guys are pretty amazing as well. Well, I think there are several reasons, and important ones. First of all, both of these men had previously talked with God on mountaintops during their lifetime. I don't know if you know that, but if you've read through Scripture, you'll see that Moses talks with him on Mount Sinai, and then Elijah on Mount Horeb. Second, they had both been shown God's glory, or at least a teeny, teeny piece of it themselves already. Third, they both also had famous departures from this earth. Moses died on Mount Nebo, after which God buried him in a grave known only to himself. And then, not to be outdone, and this is perhaps the way I want to go, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. (laughs) Think of that old song, swing low, sweet chariot, right? It comes from that idea. Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Amazing. Well, fourth, they were both expected to return again at the end of the age. We see that in Scripture. And then finally, Moses was the great lawgiver and Elijah was the great prophet. The law and the prophets coming together. The whole of the Old Testament brought together in this moment in this sense of fulfillment of what's happening. And what do they talk about with Jesus? Well, I doubt there was much small talk. I think Luke makes it pretty clear that they were talking about the cross and Jesus' death. He's turning his face towards Jerusalem. And these, these two people, the chief representatives of the law and the prophets, they're carrying on a conversation with Jesus who earlier in his ministry had said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? Oh, ding, ding, ding. He's come to fulfill them. And here he is with the lawgiver. Here he is with the great prophet in this moment. Something's happening, right? Jesus was the fulfillment of everything to which the law was pointing. He fulfills what the sacrificial system was teaching. And he fulfills every single one of those hundreds of messianic prophecies that you can read in the Old Testament. Everything towards which their religion and history has been moving. You see, God's rescue plan that we've been talking along about this whole school year, it's moving on and it's reaching its climax. And it's been set in motion, right? After the fall of Adam and Eve, things didn't go as was planned. And the key event now is about to happen though. And it will prove to be the key event of all of human history around which history itself revolves. And so it's fitting that these heroes of the faith are here with Jesus, encouraging him to press on and not give up. Well, incredibly, it seems that up until this point, the disciples are asleep. (laughs) They're dozing, right, as this is all going on. We read, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. You know, have you ever had one of those vacations or maybe just one of those days? Maybe it was a great date that you had or just a a great moment in your life that you wished would go on and on and on and never end. You know, Melissa and I felt a bit like that last weekend. It was tempting just to book another night and then another night and another night, but I don't think her grandparents would have been too pleased. And, um, I've also experienced it on Christian retreats that I've been on. You know, the the presence of the Lord is so thick and tangible. You can sense that he's with you and you just don't want to leave that place. 
Well, the disciples, they're experiencing one of the greatest events of all of human history, up there with the creation of the world, the parting of the Red Sea, the, um, obviously the virgin birth, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and now they're in the presence of Moses and Elijah and the very Son of God, and it's an incredible experience. So it's no wonder that Peter wants it to last as long as possible. But to extend it and to stay there would be to miss the point. Be to miss the point. If they stay there, think about this, the greatest event of all of human history will never happen. And that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Oswald Chambers, who wrote an excellent devotional I encourage you to use sometime called uh, My Utmost for His Highest. He notes this when he writes, the transfiguration was completed on the Mount of Ascension. If Jesus had gone to heaven directly from the Mount of Transfiguration, though, he would have gone alone. He would have been nothing more to us than a glorious figure. But he turned his back on the glory and came down from the mountain to identify himself with fallen humanity. See, they weren't meant to stay here. If they did, mankind would not be saved. But Peter, James, and John were meant to hold on to this event during the difficult days to come. It was meant to comfort them and to be a reason for hope in the darkness, particularly the darkness of Good Friday and Saturday afterwards. You see, when Jesus' crucifixion occurred, it's going to eclipse their vision momentarily, but not permanently. John, for example, writes later on, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. It's hard to really equate this to modern day for myself. And as I was thinking about it, what would it be like to have such an experience and to not want to leave? And I was thinking back to a time when we were in seminary. You know, when you go to seminary, you go typically for three years or so, at least as an Anglican. And the Bennetts headed off to seminary back in 2010, and we were there until the uh, beginning of 2013. We went to Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is not a very beautiful place, I must admit. But it was a beautiful time, you know. And for those of us who get to go to seminary for a few years in person, the experience, uh, many of us experience the joy of being part of a community of families and individuals who are all on a very similar track with similar goals in mind and all looking to enter full-time ministry. And we look back fondly on those years as a time when, while we had very little money, very little possessions, we had incredible friendships with peers and a deeply loving, Christ-centered community day in, day out, all always there to help us in our time of need from the day we arrived with our uh, removal truck packed full and 20 of them showed up to help us climb the 20 stairs up to our house and then the stairs inside our house unpack this truck for us in two hours from the day that we left and we celebrated in our graduation. And we had incredible teachers and opportunities to study and learn. There was daily worship together and the chance to visit and try all kinds of churches and Sometimes the temptation for us, and maybe you can think of a time like that, is to look back on those years as the golden years. Think, if only I could get back to then. If only I could get back. And to wish you were there in a simpler and yet incredibly profound time in your life and the life of your family. But my seminary experience, you see, was one given to me by God not to dwell upon, not to wish I was back there, but to encourage and equip me for the journey that lay ahead. And every single day, every single day without fail, I draw upon that experience to help me endure whatever the enemy will throw at me, knowing that God is who he says he is and that he will always be with me. 
Well, as we come into land, you would think that between Jesus' transfiguration and the appearance of two superheroes of the faith, it really couldn't get much better than that, right? And yet, even as this incredible event's coming to a close, something else happens. God the Father himself speaks. As Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The cloud enveloping them is a clue, or it should be a clue to us that something's up. Particularly if you've been with us through our His Story series, going through the Old Testament to the New, or if you've ever had the chance to read through the whole of the Bible. We see that clouds have appeared before. Do you remember some of these incidents? There was the pillar at the Exodus, right, that led them out, um, added them out of Egypt. Then there was the cloud that passed by Moses as God covered him in the cleft of the rock with his hand so that Moses only saw the afterglow and didn't die. And then there was the cloud that covered the newly finished tent of meeting and the so filled and so filled the new tabernacle with God's glory that Moses couldn't even enter it. Then there was the cloud that filled Solomon's temple on dedication day, so the priests couldn't enter. You see, the cloud is the very presence of God. And out of the cloud, God speaks. And we've heard these words before at Jesus' baptism, at a crucial moment in his life. Just as Jesus was beginning his ministry, his father speaks, saying, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hasn't done anything yet, and yet God's already well pleased with him. It shows us the nature of God, doesn't it? His grace, his unconditional love for us. And he speaks that identity over him then. And now, once again, as Jesus is facing a significant shift in his ministry, moving towards Jerusalem, the Father speaks his identity over him once again. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And you see, this time... There's also a word for those who are with him. It's the call to listen to him. Pope Francis once said, listen to Jesus and follow him. That's the message of the transfiguration. Listen to Jesus and follow him. And it sounds obvious, but sometimes you and I, we need things spelled out to us, don't we? Disciples are people who listen to Jesus. Well, Luke concludes the account by saying, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they'd seen. Suddenly, everything's gone. It's like there was someone hit the reset button. Everything's back to normal. It's just them and Jesus. Just them and Jesus. And how appropriate that is. As one commentator puts it, Jesus alone means that Jesus is the focus of everything. Jesus is the focus of the Old Testament. Jesus is the focus of history. Jesus is the focus of eternity. Jesus is everything. Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren wrote, Remember that vision on the Mount of Transfiguration, and let it be ours, even in the glare of earthly joys and brightnesses, to lift up our eyes like those wandering three and see no man anymore save Jesus only. Friends, as we close, I want to ask you, is Jesus everything to you? Is he everything? Absolutely everything. Is he alpha and omega? Is he beginning and end? Is he your first thought in the morning? Is he your last thought at night? Is he the one whom your very life 
revolves around, like a planet orbiting the sun. You see, I think the story of Jesus' transfiguration is a huge encouragement to let Jesus be the very center of our lives, where he deserves to be. And not just for one hour a week on Sunday, or maybe five minutes a day in a devotional, not that kind of experience. No, this man is the very son of God. And as such, he demands our full attention and devotion in everything we do. And as God commands in this story, we must therefore listen to him. And yet, how many of us can claim to be paying full attention to what Jesus is saying? You know, amongst all the noise of our culture, whether it's the tweets or the emails or the texts or the posts or the pop-ups or the billboards or the junk mail, the streaming services, the 24-hour cable news cycle, and on and on and on, it's almost impossible to drown out the noise that really doesn't matter and to hear what God is saying to us. That's one reason that we encourage corporate worship weekly. Because we need this time. We need this hour to experience reality. We need to hear the reality of who God is and who we are in Him so we can be strengthened to go out and to love and serve others. That's why it's not an optional extra. It's something we prioritize. And it allows us to stop and to listen. And we hear that there's a God who loves us and who has a bigger plan for us than our perfect home, our nice cars, our 2.4 children, the golf club, the pool, the golf cart, whatever else goes with our lifestyle that we're in. And the same can be said for our life groups as well. They're an opportunity to hear God speak reality to us. And it's also something we can do alone. You know, we're heading into Lent. And it's a season that begins this Ash Wednesday, 40 days, not including the Sundays. We'll begin with our noonday service right over in that building. would love to have you join us. And why not take up the practice of trying to listen to Jesus this Lent? Or if you already think you do that, try and increase that listening. You may need to give up something pretty hard to help you. Maybe social media, such as Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Perhaps TV or Netflix, cable news, even your cell phone. Okay, well, for an hour a day, maybe, not the whole day. (laughs) That's a struggle, right? But maybe an hour a day and then one day a week. Could you give it up? So you could have the chance to hear God speak. I know people who do this. Or maybe fasting for a a meal every so often. But if you do these things, you're going to create the space to listen to him. And what do I mean by listening? Well, you could read through a gospel or all four Gospels this Lent, quite easily. You could probably do it a few times. You could use a Lenten devotional, and we'll have one to give away on Wednesday. Sadly, it got delayed in the mail, but hopefully it'll be here by Wednesday. You could sit in silence and just listen for two minutes each day. Listen for five minutes, maybe, even ten minutes. Meditate on a verse of Scripture. You could say morning and evening prayer from our ACNA prayer book. I can help you find it if you need it. You could read a Christian book by an author such as C.S. Lewis or Omri Nowen. I have a great book outside to give away if you'd like one uh, by Dane Ortland. And if you're looking for a book to read. Or you could take half a day. I know that's costly, but you could do it. Or even a whole day. Visit somewhere like Mepkin Abbey for a silent retreat in the gardens. You could participate in our Lenten series at Solomon's Island each Wednesday evening and hear God speak through Kendall Harmon. You could or should commit to weekly worship with your church family and joining a life group right away if you're not one already. Friends, don't just give up chocolate for Lent. 
listen to Jesus and follow him. Come to the mountain and be encouraged to move forward with God. Maybe you're feeling discouraged by something that's going on in your life. Perhaps you've realized that following Jesus is a whole lot harder than you thought it would be. The cost is more than you want to bear. But when we allow ourselves to climb the mountain with Jesus, spending time in his presence alone, in small groups, or in larger corporate worship, we cannot help but be encouraged by who he is and what he's done for us, ultimately dying that we might live. Friends, is Jesus everything to you? And are you listening to him? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move in our hearts today. Come shape us and mold us and make us more like you and encourage us in the places that are broken, where we need healing, Lord Jesus. Would you heal us? And help us to hear you speak each day. Help us to put ourselves in a place where we can hear you speak, Lord Jesus, to remove some of the distractions in our lives that are not helping us to draw closer to you, that we might hear you and we might follow you. We pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen.